Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention to God's Word now. Uh, I want to invite you, if you have a copy of Scripture with you, to open up to the book of John. We're going to be continuing in our series that we've been in. And uh, if you were here last week, we started, uh, you know, kind of celebrating, reflecting on these themes of Advent. Um, but uh, as we were preparing, you know, I, I preached through uh, many of the traditional passages in Matthew and Luke, um, you know, and, and others uh, from Isaiah, uh, many, many years. And each year as Christmas approaches, it's, uh, uh, you know, what are, we, what are we going to be looking at? What are we going to be studying in, in God's Word? And the fact that we're in this gospel, we're following Jesus uh, through the eyes of one of his closest friends and and, um, you know, as I kind of looked at these passages that were sort of before us, it's like, you know what, there are plenty of things that here inform our celebration of uh, Jesus' coming, inform our, our celebration of Advent uh, right here in this gospel. And so uh, that's why we're just kind of continuing on uh, through it. And so we're going to do the same uh, this morning. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up uh, chapter uh, 6, which has taken us Three weeks this is the third week now to uh, get through it. There's quite a bit here. Um, it is a miracle followed by a pretty long discourse, and then now we're going to see uh, the result of that. And uh, the title of the uh, sermon this morning is uh, Two Paths Diverge. Uh, we're going to see following uh, this, this sermon or sort of discourse that Jesus has now taught in, this, in the synagogue at Capernaum, uh, there's kind of two different courses that are taken. Uh, two sort of paths are, uh, are, are taken. And, um, you know, I, there's many examples that I could give you of times when, uh, you know, maybe I took a different path uh, than I should have or, um, you know, the difference of, of what, one small turn. There's one, though, one, one, one story that kind of comes to mind that I think sort of sets up uh, where we're going this morning. Uh, one time uh, I was making a drive from North Carolina uh, with a handful of high school students. Uh, we were going to this uh, event, con- uh, conference sort of thing uh, in Chicago. And so it was about a 12-hour drive from... Uh, Winston, Salem, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, and so it's me, and I think it was three or four, I can't remember exactly how many high school students, and, and uh, we were heading up to this, uh, this event and going to be spending a couple days in Chicago. And on the way there, uh, we were playing this super, super competitive game of the alphabet game. Um, maybe you, uh, you play, played that as a kid, and you know, um, and, and, and you kind of, if you're playing with your family and you're playing when you're little, you know, you kind of like, oh, you know, I, I didn't see that, or I saw that one. Alphabet game, case for those of you who are uninformed, it's fantastic. Um, you try and find all the letters of the alphabet on signs. And different families have different rules. Uh, we had all, So what we decided to do is we're going to make this cutthroat game of like alphabet game where it's like super strict rules. There's all these like regulations about what, what signs count, what signs don't, how you can do it. Like, so we're like super into this game. And we are all competitively looking for uh, these letters. So much so uh, that we were uh, driving and um, I started looking around and like it kind of hit me. I'm like, I haven't really looked at our map for a while. Um, I think this was like pre-GPS uh, days because um, there was no GPS that was like, you know, yelling at us or anything. So um, I'm like, I have not looked at the map for a while. I don't recognize this. I've done this drive many, many times. This seems like, you know, sort of uh, different areas. So I sort of pulled over and pulled out the map and kind of looked at where we're at. And what we found was that there was a very critical turn, right? This very critical part of the highway uh, that I'm pretty sure it was like, right in the search for that, that cue, you know, and that's where things really kind of, I mean, if you can find that cue, you are set up for success, right? And so I'm guessing the cue was maybe on the line around that time, but we had missed that turn, and it was about two hours before that. Um, that and so we had been just like kind of going for it for a long, long time. And you're like, how did you not notice? I'm telling you, it was intense. The game was intense. And so we were, we were at least an hour, if not two, I, I, 
I've, maybe I've blown it out of proportion in mind, but it was, it was definitely, definitely way off course. And as we looked at the map, like the way that it kind of went was, it, it was you know, sort of like this, like we were way over here and there was not, it was like enough of a diversion that there really wasn't a good way to get back uh, to the other path, to the, to the road that we should be on without going all the way back to the place where we missed the turn. And so what we decided to do is we're like, well, before we do that, let's stop for lunch. And so the thing that we said was this is the best subway that we've ever been to in our entire life. It was worth, it was worth the diversion. And so we, 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 like, we marked it on a map. And we're like, man, we're going to all come back to this subway someday because this was so good and so worth our... And so then we began that kind of way back and then started our, our trek up to Chicago. I share all that, say that you know, kind of um, story just to say that if you've ever been in that situation, it doesn't take much, right? Like just the smallest turn. I mean, when, it, when that first turn came, it was the matter of, you know, just kind of veering a little bit to the left, veering a little bit to the right, and, and that's all the difference that it was. I wasn't paying attention at the time. I didn't even notice it, but what the result of choosing the other road, the other path, uh, took me to a completely different place than I ever intended, right? And we had no great way of getting back to where it was without some extra work, some, you know, really undoing, kind of basically retressing all of our steps and then kind of starting all over again. I share that to say, it kind of sets up the story that we're looking at this morning as it continues and that it's important, kind of the choices that we make, the path that we choose, the decisions that we do, like how we handle the, this, this teaching that John has for us here, uh, how we handle the words of Jesus Christ, how we respond to what he has given us is super important in our life into the place that we're going to end up, like, like the place that it's going to take us. I'm not talking just like destination eternally. I'm talking just even in the way that we live our life, that the, that the road that we're on, the things that we experience are going to be very much um, dictated by some of the choices that we make. And I like to do this... Um, Many are oftentimes, but I want to give you the big idea because it kind of helps to frame what we're seeing and looking at and hearing from God's word this morning. And it's this. As we walk through this, these, these verses together, we're going to see that this, that my recognition of Jesus as the Son of God leads to a devotion to my life, uh, to him with my life. That my recognition of Jesus, when I see Jesus as the Son of God, that that is a key indicator, it's a, uh, it's a deciding factor toward a life of devotion to him. And what I want to show you is we're going to see in the, in the passage this morning that there's kind of two separate paths that people take. And it's not even just the crowd and the disciples. Honestly, it's, it's those that are following Jesus make two different choices. You have sort of what's known as the 12, or what's going to be called here for the first time in John, the 12, and then you have the other disciples that are going to be uh, sort of seen. But there is these kind of two paths that are going to be found. And so as we walk through it this morning, those of you that are note takers, this is just me helping you out. I would want to see this chart ahead of time. So this is what we're going to fill in as we walk through this passage, okay? So I'm not going to give you all of it right now. We're going to kind of fill this in as we go in. So kind of make some space. If you're taking notes, like this is what we're going to kind of unpack this morning. But that's where we're going. We want to see what does the choices that we make, how do, how does that lead to two different places in response to, uh, to Jesus? Before we go any further, let me uh, pray, and we'll walk through the passage this morning. Um, let me pray now. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word and for, uh, God, the gift that it is to us. And God, you have laid out instructions. God, you've revealed yourself to us. You have, uh, God, taught us some things that we need to know and understand. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear that from you this morning, that we would respond accordingly, rightly. Um, God, give us, as we pray each week, ears to hear, Lord, hearts to receive, um, and God would be quick to apply, uh, Lord, what it is that you have for us here uh, this morning. And so, uh, teach us as we walk through your word together. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, here's what we're going to see this morning as we kind of go through this. I want to walk through Scripture. First, I want to kind of recap where we're at in Scripture before we get to the passage uh, that we're looking at this morning. So sort of three verses to do that. Uh, The first is um, in John uh, 6, 11. We'll put them on the screen for you here. But John 6, 11, uh, this is what has happened. We we looked at this two weeks ago. Uh, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And so we're still kind of in that same sort of uh, time period. It's, it's a couple days, but, but Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He fed more than 5,000 people, uh, miraculously showed his power in doing so. Uh, and then uh, what we looked at last week is the response to that. Uh, the, the next day, people were chasing, trying to find Jesus, looking for him. And when they find him and they ask him, hey, can you do that again? Or can we see more of that? Like, Jesus, what, what was that all about? He replies with this in John 6, 35. He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And if you were with us last week, we unpacked what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life, uh, that he offers uh, sustaining nourishment to our souls, that he is the, uh, the thing that fulfills and, and, and fills, and, and not just his words, not just the things he does, but he himself, he is the bread of life. And he makes some controversial statements in that. Uh, some things that aren't, don't settle with the people well. He says, unless someone eats my flesh or drinks my blood, then you will not receive this gift of life. And so they're like, what does that mean? Is he talking physically? Is this a, is this a literal thing? And it's, it's an, this extended metaphor that he's doing. In the same way that you and I consume food, so are we to consume and feed upon Jesus and his presence, his person, who he is, all that he offers uh, in that. And all of these things, John 6, 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And kind of three questions that are going to guide us through our passage this morning. Uh, the first is this, and these are questions I would ask you of the, uh, the text and what we're seeing here. This is the first one is, are you seeing how Jesus is revealing himself? Are you seeing how Jesus is revealing himself? So here's, here's what's happening uh, with Jesus and, and with the people. Jesus is making himself known. And he's doing so both in actions, uh, through some miraculous works, right? And through the words that he's speaking and through the teaching that he is giving. Sort of two parts in that. So when he was multiplying the loaves and the fishes, he's showing, hey, you and I are not the same, right? I can do some things that you can't do. I have an ability that you don't have. And so he's, he's showing his power in this. He's been showing his power. We saw the very first miracle he did. He turned water into wine. At this point, he has now healed those who are sick. Remember, he made uh, that lame man walk. He's given sight to the blind. He's given uh, words to the mute. He has performed many, many miracles at this point, and they've seen all of it. And what's happening is Jesus is revealing himself. He's showing himself to the people, who he is, what he has, what he can do. See, this is all part of uh, who Jesus is. I mean, it says 
we began this, this, this study in John, you know, a couple months ago now, um, it says that, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that all things were made through him, that, not that anything was made, that in him was life, and the life was light of men, and the light now shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, what we see is that Jesus is shining his light into the darkness. He's showing who he is. Not only is he showing who he is, but he's telling who he is, right? He, he makes this statement, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not, never thirst. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty big claim. I mean, he's, he's claiming, he's, he's stating that life itself is found in him. And so he is revealing himself, and that's what he's doing as he's teaching. Verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He's, he's saying and unpacking these things so that people would understand. See, the first place that we need to understand is the people, how they're responding to the revelation of Jesus mattered. Like The question, I guess, we need to begin with for us is, are we seeing how Jesus is revealing himself? Do you see that Jesus is the one who's showing? And, 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 and let's be clear about something, that unless he reveals himself to us, we are in the dark. Like We don't know who he is without him showing himself. He made himself known to us. That's what Christ did at Christmas. He came down. He dwelt among us. He took on flesh, and he was revealing, God was revealing himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's revealing himself. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing what he's showing? It's not an exercise for right now, but maybe on your own, it would be great to kind of even go back and just look at the previous chapters, even up to this point. What has Jesus shown or said about himself? What have we already seen him revealing himself to be? The question is, are you seeing it? Once we answer that question, once we see how Jesus is revealing himself, the second question is this, what are you then doing with Jesus? What are you doing with this revelation. Let's look at the passage together and ask this question. What are you doing with Jesus? Let's see what the people were doing with Jesus. Verse 60, it says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What they weren't saying was, I don't understand. What they're saying is, I understand. I don't know if I can accept it. That's what that is. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can receive it? Who can believe it? Who can accept it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, notice what it said. It didn't say knowing in himself with the crowd. Remember, we, last week looking at the crowd, this week the attention kind of turns. Now it's not the crowd, it's his disciples. Oftentimes we use the disciples and we refer to the 12, but you have to understand there was a lot more than the 12 men that were known as the 12 disciples. There's many, many more disciples that Jesus had. Disciple is just someone, it's a, it's a student, it's a follower. Uh, someone who was uh, coming after Jesus. So Jesus had many disciples at this point. We don't know how many. I mean, for sure in the dozens, if not hundreds. Who knows how many at this point were following him, but it was some of his disciples that were saying this. Knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's kind of a veiled way of saying what he's trying to say there, but he's doing that intentionally. He's like, if you're offended by this miracle, if you're offended by my explanation, my unpacking of this miracle, then he's like, you haven't seen anything yet. He's like, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
Well, let's just unpack that for a second. Where was the Son of Man before? He was seated eternally with God the Father in, in heaven, in glory, and he descended down to earth, took on flesh, now dwelt, and he's saying, if you were to see him ascending to where he was before, well, how is Jesus going to ascend to where he was before? Well, we know ultimately it's going to be upon that mountain when he ascends back to his father, but how does he get there? He doesn't get to that mountain without going through the cross. And so what he's saying there is saying, well, what are you going to do when you see the man, Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's like, well, the cross is yet to come. You're going to see the Son of Man humiliated and uh, crucified, hung on a tree and spit upon, ridiculed, mocked, and die, buried into a tomb before you then see him raised up and then ascending to before. How are you going to do? If you think this is a hard saying, if you can't accept this, then there is so much more coming. That's what he's saying there. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's like, I'm trying to give you life here. I'm trying to tell you what you need to know. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Remember, Judas, the betrayer, Judas Iscariot was there, numbered among the 12 at this point. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Okay, so we see this response. He's, again, people are grumbling, they're questioning, they're offended by this. This is one of the ways that they're responding. Let's continue on and see a different response Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So, so much so that they walk away. So Jesus, upon seeing the, the many walking away, who knows? I mean, it may have been all but the 12 or most but the 12. But what we see here, Jesus said to the 12, which this is the first time we see the 12 in John. He hasn't kind of distinguished. So at this point, John, Jesus has arrived at his sort of close-knit followers, these 12 that he was really going to pour into, that he was going to commission um, to, well, 11 of them, um, to carry out the gospel, um, to be his witnesses. Well, he turns to them and he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, as Simon Peter so often does, speaks up for the group, right? Uh, some of you know who is the Simon Peter in your family. Some of you know who is the Simon Peter in your small group, right? We, we know this person, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he is one of the 12 who was going to betray him. And so here in this passage, we see, again, two paths diverge. We see two different responses to the same um, revelation. And uh, notice here the response. Let's look at the first response here in John. Let's go back up to John um, 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Again, not that we can't understand it. We just don't know if we can accept it, that we can receive it. Jesus knew this, and he saw that his disciples were grumbling about this, right? They're discontent, they're offended, and that's why he asked them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
All right, so this is the response. And so here's where, let's start filling in this chart. Uh, it begins with, like, where, where we see is revelation. Uh, Jesus is showing himself. We said Jesus is revealing himself. He's done these miracles. He's now taught this teaching. He said, I am the bread of life. And so he's given this, this revelation to all who are there, the crowd, the disciples, the 12, all of them here. And on one side, you have kind of one response. It begins with this, what, I, what, I, what I've called contradiction. In people's hearts, they, they, they feel, they hear, they, they hear something, responding to something that contradicts their perspective, their view, uh, kind of their, their holding on, on the situation, right? They're saying, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? His disciples are grumbling. They're offended. And so we're seeing that they were uh, contradicted in their understanding with that. The reality is this, is that it, whenever you, and, and maybe this happened, actually this just happened this morning, somebody was asking questions about the order of the candles, and, and um, it's one of the things that drives me nuts. There's not a agreed upon sort of order of the candles, and they're like, didn't we do that candle last week? And this, I'm like, in my mind, I had so set that, that we had the right order, and then I, like, I started thinking about it, like, no, you know what, you're right, we didn't do that one. We did do this, like, we need to, those got switched somehow, just because of, you know, again, this discrepancy. And so in that mind, I was like, but it was like something that contradicted for a second. I had to stop and pause and think. And like, I was like, no, I'm so sure that it was this way, but now it's something different. And so it, it, it sort of, for a second, I had, to, I had to kind of wrestle with that. See, what's happening is they have a perspective of the Messiah. They think that he's going to be a king. They seem, think that he's going to provide. They think that he's going to fill their bellies. They want these physical miracles. They want the physical benefits. They want the uh, political freedom uh, for their country. And so now all of a sudden Jesus is talking about eating flesh, drinking blood. What is that all about? There's this contradiction. And they're like, I don't know if I can accept that. I don't know if I can do that. That's offensive to me. And contradiction then uh, leads to... Um, Rejection. Rejection. They reject this truth. Verse 64 says, but there are some of you who do not believe. Right? They're rejecting it. Why are they offended? Why are they rejecting it? Well, I think their offense began with the eating of flesh and drinking of blood. That would have been prohibited under the law. So first of all, Jesus, why are you using this metaphor if this is... If this is literal, this is something we can't do. If it's a metaphor, I don't understand it. But I think more than just being offended by the metaphor Jesus is using, they're being offended that Jesus is claiming to be greater than Moses. Right? He said, like, Moses gave you manna and your forefathers died. Right? I've given you, I've come to give you eternal life. Bread that will lead to eternal life. And this is where, where the offense really moves on. It's not just that they were offended that Jesus was saying he's greater than Moses, but they were offended that he, they, they were more interested in the physical than in the spiritual. And what they're really showing in their hearts is they're unwilling to submit to Jesus as he is revealing himself. And they don't want to submit, and they don't want to take these very first steps of faith toward Jesus. And so as we see this play out, the path where this is going, we see the contradiction leads to rejection. There were some who didn't believe. Then it goes to desertion. John 6.66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They walk away all together. And so we have contradiction, we have rejection, then we have desertion. This is what is happening in the hearts of the people. And 
if we're, if we just want to come on and take stock of, okay, what does that look like today? Is that still happening? Is that still a thing today? It most certainly is, right? Like how many of us um, know someone who has deserted, who rejected, who felt like there was some sort of contradiction with their, in their spirit, their understanding, their, their sort of beliefs, and it's led them to a place of walking away from the church, walking away from Jesus altogether. See, this is happening all over the place. How many of us, maybe, some of you, that's part of your story. Maybe you're back now, but you have deserted in the past, and God brought you to a place of humility or brokenness, and now you have come back. Others of you have wrestled or maybe even now are wrestling with, do I really believe this? Do I really hold on to this? Is this where I am? And I think desertion looks a little bit different for different people. Uh, some, I believe, desert in sort of a spiritual way. They, they leave Jesus, but they don't leave spirituality. They're like, well, I, I don't really follow or kind of subscribe to the words of Jesus, but I'm still a spiritual person. I believe that there's something kind of higher or bigger or, you know, that's, that's out there, that there is something spiritual. And we probably know people like that, that don't hold to the specific claims of Jesus, but they like that Jesus had these kind of this spiritual overtone, and so they're okay with him so much as that. But, but to have him as Lord and Savior and, and as King, that, that would be a step further. And so it's, it's, I'm spiritual, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Other, I think this is a little bit more deceptive, but I think some desert the way of Jesus and do so in a very religious way. Where it's not about so much letting Christ, letting Jesus impact the heart, but it's about keeping up form and appearance and kind of doing these things, these religious practices. That's what I think is happening here, right? These were disciples. They had followed the law. They had followed everything that Moses had laid out in the Torah Yet when it came to following Jesus, they're like, no, we want our version of this. And they were religiously rebelling, religiously deserting from Jesus. They're going back to their kind of religious ways. I think many religious people, I, I believe, um, they like the framework. They like the do's and the don'ts. They like the checkboxes. They like the traditions. They like the family heritage. They like those things. And so many that are in that place, and some of you maybe have come from that place. You were raised in that place or you began in that place and you had this kind of religious framework. And so some get a taste of the real Jesus, who Jesus is, but then kind of go back to a religious sort of checkbox version of him. Some desert, I think, for academic or sort of like what we would call scientific reasons. They're like, well, you know, I, I need to reason it all out. And if I see any inconsistency or anything that I can't kind of explain in my, in my mind or, or with, uh, with reason, then, then there's just not enough there. To that, I would say keep studying because I think there's, God never asks us to check our understanding or our reason at the door when we have faith in Christ. There's plenty to put our trust and our reason into in Christ, but many desert for academic or scientific reasons, and I think others just desert altogether because of relational reasons. They're like, well, I need this relationship intact. This relationship takes precedence over my relationship with Jesus, and so I'm going to put this person, this situation, this scenario. I've seen all of these. I've seen all of these in a very close 
in close relationships, in friendships, in people around me. Like, I've, I've watched all of these things happen. In the years in ministry, I've seen this happen in, in the churches that I've served. I've seen, um, to a degree, some of these happen in this church where people have gotten into this place. They didn't stay close to Jesus. They deserted. Ultimately, I think what happens, and this is what was happening to the people, is there comes a time when Jesus doesn't fit the framework anymore. Right? God had given the law, but they had moved away from its original tent, morphed it into something else. So Jesus showed up, and he's, he's giving this new revelation, this, this new teaching, kind of redefining or sort of realigning, rather, what it was always meant to be. And religiously inclined people are always upset when, this, when the formula changes. Make no mistake, religious rebellion is still rebellion. They were rebelling against Jesus in a religious way, but it's still rebelling. And I believe today the, the many that we see that are deconstructing their faith, right? Many today are deconstructing faith from a version that is different than the template that Scripture lays out. I don't think all deconstruction is bad. I think some grew up in a form or sort of a version of Christianity that is unhealthy, I would go as far as to say unbiblical, right? That there's a lot of things kind of mixed into that. And so what people are doing is they're deconstructing these days. They're kind of going back and unpacking and be like, man, what do I really hold to? What is, what is that there? Some of that, I think, can be helpful and good because maybe there's some things that do need to be deconstructed or sort of revisited or sort of looked at. The danger or sort of the problem, I don't necessarily say that you can never deconstruct or never sort of unpack or go back and look. The danger is when you do that and you move away from the truth and authority of Scripture in doing so. See, if, if your deconstruction is, I need to get back to the Word and I need to understand what it says and I need to understand a historical understanding of it and let's go back further than the last 30 or 40 or 50 or 80 years. Let's go back over thousands of years. What have we seen? What what have the, what has the people of God always held the Word of God to be? What is, what, how has Jesus revealed himself um, in his own words? Like, what, is, what are the things that he's saying in this? That can be a really helpful thing, but that's oftentimes not what's happening today. And so I think the problem is in doing so and deconstructing, not all, but what people are doing is walking away from Jesus altogether. My fear is that as a church or even personally as a follower of Jesus that I or that we would do anything that would cause people to want to do that. Let me, let me say this clearly. I don't think that City on a Hill always gets it right, but we're trying to. We want to walk as closely to these words. We want to walk as closely to Jesus as possible. So we don't want to make mistakes or be the reason that someone would walk away from Jesus. My heart is that you would never want to walk away from Jesus because of something that people have done. But so often, people are not offended with Jesus. They're offended with his followers or they're disappointed with his followers. And can we just be honest? We've said it many times before. If you're looking for a church that's perfect, you have not found it here. I'm sorry. Um, I don't have a list to give you of the perfect churches. I don't know if you're going to find it. Our church is not perfect because we are made up of imperfect people. And so if you ever find a perfect church, stay away from that because the second you show up, it's all ruined, okay? Like you're bringing your imperfection with it, all right? We're all showing up with our imperfection. And so this is, it's a place of broken people. And so we don't always get it right. But in so much as we hear and follow and go after the words of Jesus, we want to. We want to. And so this is why I think it's so important is because I, I worry I worry that some that walk so closely, that, that there's a decision that's made. There's like a shift in the thinking. 
And what happens with just a slight little veering off ends up in, how did we get to this place? How are we so far off course? Right? We were supposed to be there. How did we get here? What well, happens at the smallest little section, it's instead of this contradiction, which leads to rejection, which ultimately goes to de- desertion, you see kind of all of this, the response to the revelation. It's the same revelation. Yet we see here that there's a different, there's a different response. Let's look at that. How are the 12 responding? They responded differently as captured by the words of Peter in verse 67. It says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. A very different response to the same revelation. What do we see here? Well, let's unpack this. First, I think we see, instead of contradiction, we see conviction. Conviction is, is accepting and receiving it as true and helpful. I think Peter, in his spirit, by these words that he said, what is the first thing he says? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's a conviction that has been growing in his heart. He knows that there is no other path. There is no other way. He's like, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And so there's a conviction that has been birthed in his heart. This is the response. But notice, it's the same starting point, right? They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They heard Jesus' teaching, but yet you have two different responses. Peter's was one of conviction. Total dependence. There's no other way. They were convicted by the words, by the miracles that they saw in Jesus. And they're like, I can't do that. I, I can't find that, li- I, I need the words of life in me. I can't do that on my own. I wonder how we respond to the hard sayings of Jesus. Jesus unpacks, and, and many times in his teaching, he, he explains, and we're gonna get to more of this, like what is sin and what isn't, right? He gets into some of the specifics, like what does it mean to forgive when somebody betrays you? Like he said to forgive in the same way that we're forgiven. That's hard to do. Some of us are walking around and we're holding this, this unforgiveness. We have this, 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 this captivity that we're in because of the unforgiveness in our heart toward another person, something they said, something they did, something they didn't do. And we have this, yet Jesus has said on that. Jesus has said a ton about sexual ethics and, and, and what is marriage and, and, and all those things. And all that's kind of up for grabs and up for debate right now. Jesus said some really challenging things about what does it mean to care for the poor, to care for those that are, are, are less than uh, the, the least of these, that, that, don't, that are in need, and how are we doing that? I mean, when you really start digging into the words of Jesus, he said some pretty challenging things, some pretty what could be hard things. The question is, are we saying it like the crowd, the disciples, or are we saying it like Peter? See, the, the, the many heard it, and they said, who can listen to this? This is a hard saying, who can listen to this? Peter's hearing it. He's convicted. He's like, I'll, I will. I will. I, I will listen because what you are speaking is the words of life. See, his conviction led to reception. He says, look at He says, you have the words of life, and what? We have believed. Believed. I circled that word in my, in my, in my scripture because... We have believed that is acceptance. That is reception. It is to receive the words of Jesus. And in receiving the words of Jesus, you 
you live out, you, you uh, believe in, you put into practice the words of Jesus. And this is what the people of God have done for a long, long time. Jeremiah 15, 16, I don't have it on the screen, but it says this, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Deuteronomy 8, 3 Speaking of manna, he said, He humbled you and let you hunger and feed and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that, you, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so we see here, he says, he believed that you have spoken the words of eternal life in that same way. We don't live by bread alone, but I live by the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord that you, your words were found and I ate them and they became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. This is the same expression that Peter is giving here. He says, you have the words of life and we have believed, we have received them. And what does it lead to? It leads to devotion, not desertion, but devotion. It says, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we gonna go? We have nowhere else to go. We're gonna follow you, Jesus. We're gonna follow you, Jesus. I want to just kind of touch on, it's not the main part of what we're looking at here, but I think you might have some questions about it. Verse 70, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? See, Jesus is trying to remind them, even in their choosing him, he's reminding him, hey, I chose you, right? We've said it before, our hearts are so broken that we in and of ourselves cannot respond to the truth of Jesus, but we need him to bring us, draw us to that place. And so God has chosen us to receive and to respond to that. Both are true. We're responding to that. But notice, he said, one of you is a devil. He's speaking of Judas here. We're going to come back to that in a second. Well, here we have these kind of two paths, right? Two different, same starting point, kind of break off, and in two different places. But you know what? As I was studying and looking at this passage... I think, and sorry for those of you that have a really clean chart, I'm gonna, I need to break your chart for just a second, okay? I know I gave you the chart ahead of time. You're like, that's not fair. But I wanna, I wanna add a couple of different additions because I think, I think it actually started before the revelation was given. I think there was something that preceded this revelation that, that, that had a lot to do with where they landed. Let me, let me show it to you. Let me just ask the third question. It's this, how is the way that you view Jesus affecting your response to him? That's the third question that I think we need to ask of this passage and ask ourselves, how is the way that you view Jesus affecting your response to him? Because I think the way that we view Jesus has everything to do with which path or sort of which direction we end up on. Because as we look at this passage, we see sort of two different views, two different sort of understandings of who Jesus is. The first we looked at last week back in John 6.42. Let me throw it up there on the screen. It says this. It says, they said, is this not... Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? See, one view would say that Jesus is just a guy. Like, we know your mom and dad. We know where you were born. We know where you started. How are you now making this claim? How are you now saying this? That's one view. Uh, the other view we just saw expressed by Peter and that is that we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
two different starting places. And so if I could, if I could just kind of like modify your chart just a little bit, I would add these two, um, these two persons to it. The first is you have uh, reservation, right? Like they're starting from this place of reserve. Like, well, Jesus, you're gonna have to prove it to me. Like, I, I know where you came from. I know that. And there's kind of this reserved approach to the revelation that he's giving. The other side of it is recognition. Peter, along with the other 12 have come to the place where they recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And I just want to say to you today, if you are still skeptical, if you are one of the skeptics, then it's going to be very hard for you to receive the words of Jesus. Do you notice that? I think the people that, that saw him and were skeptical of him, uh, then when the revelation came, well, then this con- contradicts what I'm thinking. There's this rejection, and then it leads to this desertion. Yet, the 12, they've already settled in their hearts. I think it wasn't this moment that Peter decided. I think he's been brought to this place, arrived at this place that he sees and understands and knows Jesus as the Son of God. So then when he does this miracle, when he then unpacks and says, I am the bread of life, he's like, yes, yes, you are. And he says, you know, you need to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's like, yes, yes, I will. Like, because why? Because these are the words of God being spoken to him. He's receiving them as such. You see, if there's any doubt why we're taking the time to walk through the book of John together and taking all this time together as a church to do it, I would point back to the passage that we've looked at many times at the end of the book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he gives the purpose. John gives the purpose of why he wrote it. He says, these are written, these signs are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may find life in his name. You see, Our hope is that as you come to this place, and my question would be is that where are you in that? Where are you in that uh, process? Do um, Do you see him as the son of God? Have you... Have you recognized that he is, in fact, the king? Because if you come in that place of recognizing him as king, then you will experience and you will see the life that he brings. See, my fear is that it is so possible to look the part. Again, as he's talking to the 12, Judas is numbered among them. Have you ever thought about this? Judas, he sent the disciples out, the 12 out, two by two. Judas was one of those two by two going out into the towns. He was evangelizing. He was preaching. He was over the treasure. Like, he was taking care of the money bag. Like, he had, he had all sorts of, of, of responsibility, and he looked like he was one of the 12, yet in his heart, at some point, At some point, something must have shifted. Something must have decided where he decided, you know what, I'm not going to continue to follow Jesus as king. He didn't recognize him as such. He had reservations in that, which led to the place that he was at. You see, this passage is here for us, I believe, as a warning, but also as an encouragement that we would be at this place, that you would come to this place. And so, listen, church, if I could say anything to you, this, if, there's, like, if, you, if, you, if, if I could send you away with anything, is that, that we would stay close, that we would continue to feed upon Jesus, that we would continue to see him as king, that we would continue to see him as who he is, so that when the words that he speaks, right, as we continue to walk through that, and not just, the words of Jesus are not just found in the Gospels. The words of Jesus are the entire Bible. All the words are the words of Jesus. This is, he is the word incarnate. And so all of it that we would take, that we would receive, that we would live it out, that we would believe upon it, and that in doing so, that we would find life in his name. This is the place that he's uh, bringing us to. This is what he would have us see this morning. Let's 
Jesus, I pray that you would give us a greater vision, a greater picture for who you are. Father, we know we need your spirit to lead us to this place. God, we want to be the people of God, led by the spirit of God, in worship of the Son of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand and to see that rightly. Lord, that we would stay close, that we wouldn't drift. Lord, that we would receive your teaching as authoritative. God, that when it contradicts our own heart, that it would be our heart that submits. It would be that heart that yields. Lord, not the other way around. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts to receive, ears to hear, Lord, what it is that you have for us. God, we pray that you would lead us in this. God, we ask and pray this in your name. Amen.